May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As I worked on this homily uh, this week and reading through several commentaries and uh, different accounts of this particular lesson, I, I couldn't help but think of the old adage, you can't judge a book by its cover. And I also discovered a, a sort of an interesting story as I uh, prepared this week. I, I have no idea if this story is a factual, true story, but it did catch my attention. It seems that Leonardo da Vinci took three years to paint his famous portrait and fresco of the Last Supper. And he used living people to depict the figures representing the twelve apostles and, of course, Christ. He started with Christ in the middle. And it has been said that he interviewed hundreds and hundreds of men looking for the one who perfectly exhibited the innocence and the beauty that he was looking for. A face and personality unaffected by sin. Eventually he found a young man, 19 years of age, with an angelic face. And for the next six months he worked on that face and demeanor of Christ using this particular young man as a model. Now, over the next three years, he found appropriate people to represent each of the apostles, and he left a space. He left one particular figure empty, and that was the representation of Judas Iscariot. For weeks and weeks, da Vinci searched in vain for a man with a hard and callous face and a countenance marked by scars and deceit. A man who was sort of unkept. A man who could depict a person that probably would betray his best friend. After much, much discouragement and the inability for da Vinci to find such a man... Someone let him know that there was somebody that might fit those requirements. And he happened to be a dungeon in a dungeon in Rome, sentenced to die for a life of crime and murder. When da Vinci arrived, he found the epitome of what he was looking for. A man around 22 years old, rich, unkept, and vicious, the perfect Judas. By special order of the king, the man was taken to Milan, where the fresco was finished. And as the wardens came from Rome to retrieve their prisoner, as he was leaving, that prisoner turned to da Vinci and said, You don't recognize me, do you? And Leonardo said, I've never seen you before in my life. And the man broke down sobbing and says, I must have sunk so low. You see, just three years ago, you used me as a model for your picture of Jesus. I believe that that is the premise, my friends, behind today's gospel. 
And that is, man looks on the outside, but God sees our heart. In the parable of Luke today, I think it does shed some very valuable light on our attitude in offering prayers to God and who we perceive ourselves to be. The Pharisee is a righteous man in the eyes of the community and the tax collector. A self-confessed, wicked, and sinful man. Both go to the temple to offer their prayers to God. We learn a lot about these two individuals from their prayers. The key word for the Pharisee was I. He thanked God, but actually his thoughts were on himself. He cited his righteous traits and recalled that in tithing and fasting that he had done more than the actual law required. He was a patriot and an upright man and probably the chairman of the Forefathers Day Society and also a member of the Temple Charity Fund. In fact, that in fact, my friends, was the burden of his prayer. He had done so much and done it so well. The self-righteous man seemed to regard the kingdom of God as a corporation in which he had earned considerable amount of stock. He was also very proud of himself for not being sinful as other men are sinful. And in his prayers, the Pharisees told God that he knew he deserved the good things that he had received because he fasted regularly, went to the temple at the right time, made his pledge, and did all of the things required of a good member of the worship community. He was proud of who he was, and even more proud of his accomplishments. The tax collector, on the other hand, was a man who knew his place and station in life as well. He worked for the Romans. He took money from his fellow countrymen and gave it to the hated foreigners and did this for only one reason, to make a profit. His country had been taken over by the Romans and as a tax collector, he was able to enjoy a comfortable lifestyle unlike most of his countrymen. When the tax collector approached the temple, he stood before God and said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. <coughs> he did not try in any way, shape, or form to construct an alibi about his work, but rather he beat his breast and offered a cry of humility rather than a prayer of so-called proper length and proper style. He pled with God to cleanse his soul that was a dark and sinful soul. The prayer of the tax collector was accepted by God because of his honest confession of who and what he was. What the tax collector did was exactly what Paul did, and that is to realize that the God we worship is a God who accepts sinners. That means that the good news of the gospel is that God accepts all of us. So that when we say, God have mercy on me, a sinner, and we really plan to amend our lives, we are all included among God's children. 
My friends, this is wonderful news. Because so many times it's hard for us to believe. We often, too often, become like the Pharisees and start reciting all that we have done and all that we are doing so that we feel justified in what and who we are. We need to be humble in our prayers, but not proud of our humility. We need to be careful that we do not demand answers to all of our problems as a special benefit and a reward for our exemplary way of life. It's always best to allow God's will to be done rather than our own. Both men in our gospel lesson today prayed to God. And faith requires prayer, and prayer that we need to practice is best done in humility. It's best done in sincerity, and it's best done persistently. As for our humility, if we take seriously that God is the creator of total existence of everything, I think it becomes a little easier for us to bend our knee and bow our head in reverence. God did not take already existing matter and simply superimpose order. Nothing but God existed at all, and by the sheer act of God's will, there was brought into being both order and matter. John 1.3 tells us, All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. If that is true, and I believe it to be so, who are we to come before such power with a list of our own accomplishments and expect to be elevated in the sight of God? Bernard of Clairvaux, in his book, The Steps of Humility, said, One, pursue truth of God, and you come to contemplation. Second, pursue truth of neighbor, and you come to compassion. And third, pursue truth in self, and you come to humility. My friends, if we do likewise, be assured our prayers will become more and more real. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.